Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. Well, we start a new little series. It's kind of fun and it's also informative. I'm calling it Things God Never Said. You'll hear them all the time, but God never said it. It's not in the Bible. So people's awareness or memory about what the Bible actually says is usually not headed in the right direction in our culture today. If you ask the average person, what was the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve ate, what do you think most people would say? Yep, and I'll... (laughs) No, I can't say that. Let me think again. I was going to tell you what I'd do if you could find apple in the Bible. All the Bible says is they ate a fruit. It doesn't say. It could have been a peach, could have been a pear. It doesn't say. But just to show you how things get messed up. Ask people how many wise men there were that went for Jesus, and the top answer would be what? Three. Again, I'll eat the page if you can find that in the Bible. It doesn't say three wise men. It says certain wise men. They traveled in a caravan for safety from bandits. So there were a lot of people in that caravan and probably way more than three wise men. They traveled in a group, but they took gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So people said three wise men. And when the wise men got to Jesus, he wasn't in a bassinet. He was a toddler in a home, which is why Herod said, kill all the babies from two years down. He was already a toddler and not in a bassinet. And if they came to him, he read it in Matthew. He was in a house. Everybody okay? Is this messing up your, messing up your Christmas? Okay. My mom, who used to wash the shoelaces of our little saddle shoes every day and scoured the guest bathroom every day, even though we never had a guest, used to always say, cleanliness is next to godliness. Anybody ever heard that? You won't find it in the Bible. It's a good thing, but you won't find it in the Bible. Gallup had a poll where a whole bunch of people thought that the epistles were wives of the apostles. The epistles are letters, you know. So some people thought Jesus' most famous talk was called the Sermon on the Mount because he delivered it on horseback. Some people thought Noah was married to Joan of Arc. Not in the Bible. So we're doing a series called Things God Never Said about ideas or sayings or thoughts that get attributed to God or the Bible that aren't actually in the Bible and that God did not actually say. Now, the reason we do it is that very often wrong ideas about God, His will, His character, and the way He works create stumbling blocks for our people's ability to trust Him and love Him. See, because they got a wrong idea, wrong conception here. A a lot of people think the Bible says God will never give you more than you can handle. Oh, hang on, buckle up. So they think being Christian means life will always be manageable. Anybody want to vote on that one? Always manageable? But the Bible never says that. And life will often give people things they can't personally handle at all. 
A lot of people think the Bible says money is the root of all evil. So they think the Bible is anti-money, or they think if you have financial gifts, or you have the ability to generate wealth like an Elon Musk or a Jeff Bezos, then you couldn't possibly be a spiritual person. But again, it's not in the Bible. So the statement we're going to look at first this weekend, just to kick off this erroneous quote, it's often attributed to God, is this. God helps those who help themselves. Anybody ever heard that? It's not in the Bible. So that saying, God helps those who help themselves, actually goes back and is attributed to one of Aesop's fables. And in that fable, a man is driving a wagon. He gets stuck in the mud. He gets out, kneels down, prays to the gods to unstuck it. And Hercules appears to him and tells him to get off his knees and put his shoulder to the wheel. And Aesop says the moral of the story is that the gods help those who help themselves. That saying goes all the way back to Aesop's fable, but it ain't in the Bible. Okay? Now, it is true. God doesn't call us to be passive. God's given to every one of us a mind, a body, and a will. And he wants you to take initiative and take responsibility. That's a good thing. See, faith in God doesn't mean I get a free pass from having to study for a test or having to exercise to be healthy or showing up for work on time with a good attitude. You got to do that. God will certainly not do for you what he has enabled you to do. But our biggest problems in life are in precisely those areas where we cannot help ourselves. Then we find we have this strange resistance to asking for help. See, asking for help offends my pride. Asking for help makes me feel incompetent. And a great danger, and we've all been there, is if we don't get help, what started out as a problem will turn into a crisis. What started out as going over budget ends up in deep, unmanageable debt and shame. What started out as a pattern of unresolved conflict ends up in divorce. What starts out as a bad habit becomes an addiction. A problem with flirtation turns into an affair. A problem with procrastination can turn into unemployment. You're fired. A problem with sarcasm can turn into a life where people don't even want to be your friend. So here's the truth about me. I need help. It's a deep truth. Ask Cindy. And I'll tell you a little secret about you. You need help. Now, you can say that to somebody on your way out of church today. Fred, you need help. Because it's true. Amazingly enough, from a human perspective, the whole story of the people of God and their great adventure together begins with a single word, help. We're told this about the Israelites when they were oppressed in slavery in Egypt. It says, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. See, they cannot help themselves. They're in slavery. They're in bondage 430 years. And notice, God did not say, hey, boys, get organized. Hey, show some initiative. Put your shoulder to the wheel. I'll help people who help themselves. 
they couldn't do a thing. God just helped. Who does God help? God helps people who ask for help. Says you have not because you ask not. Hardest thing for a man to do is ask for help. I are one, I know. I don't want to ask you for anything. That just comes with male DNA generally. But God helps people who are needy. God helps people who are weak. God helps people who are scared. God helps people who are way in over their heads. God helps people who cannot help themselves. Now, to be clear, God helps other people too. God loves to help so much that sometimes he shows up and gives help for no reason at all. Jesus said one of the signature characteristics of his father is that he makes the sun to shine on both the good people and the bad people. He sends the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. And Lord, think about Texas. We need some rain. Yeah. And you said even the unjust, so at least we're in. Okay. One of the favorite words in the Bible to describe God in Psalms 90 is the word help. It says, our God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Help. See it? Mostly, mostly being the kind of person God will help means being a person willing to pray, who's actually devoted to prayer. God helps those who pray because those who pray are asking for help and looking for help and hoping for help. When I'm praying, I'm asking God. I'm praying. I need help. So what we're really called to in the Bible on this issue, rather than self-help, you know, God helps those who help themselves, is a life of prayer, a heart of prayer, an attitude of prayer. Now, I don't know where you are on the prayer deal. Maybe you've been disappointed by prayer. Maybe you cried out to God for something that really mattered to you. Nothing happened. Or maybe you feel guilty about prayer. We got people on different levels in this room. A lot of people put prayer in this category as one of the things I know I should do more of, but I don't do enough of it. And I don't seem to find the time, and I just feel guilty. Then I kind of avoid it, and it gets worse. Or maybe you feel confused about prayer. You hear other people tell stories about amazing answers to their prayer or feeling maybe close to God. But when you pray, Your mind starts to wander, and pretty soon you're thinking about your grocery shopping list or some old television show or what what you need to do out in the yard. Maybe if you're really honest about it, and this is a good place to be honest in church, maybe you don't even believe in prayer. Maybe the idea of talking to an invisible supernatural being doesn't make sense to you. Or you think prayer really doesn't change anything. God's already made up his mind what he's going to do. Or maybe prayer is a great joy of your heart. Maybe you've known, because of your prayer, you've known some secret moments of peace in times of big trouble, but you were steady. Or you had courage in situations that would normally produce great fear. Or you had strength and control in situations normally you'd make terrible choices. And you can't even put it into words, your gratitude for those moments of prayer when God was able to stabilize you, encourage you, or help you. So wherever you are on the prayer deal, there's a story in the Old Testament of one of the first times God taught his people about the power of prayer. And I want to look at in this little message that God had delivered Israel from the Egyptians. See, after they first cried out for help, he stepped in to deliver them. Now they're out in the desert. 
They're on their way to the promised land. Then we're told quite out of the blue, they're attacked by a group of people called the Amalekites. And Israel's whole existence, they're calling not just as a nation, but as a people who were blessed through Abraham to be a blessing to the whole world by bringing Jesus into the world. All of that's now in threat, and they don't know why. So Moses calls his number two guy, Joshua, he calls him in for a strategy session. Now, we got a military city here, so we got lots of military active and retired in this room. And we're told Moses was the one man in all of Israel who had been raised in Pharaoh's courts and in his schools, and that means he would have had great military training. He would have been schooled in military strategy. So Joshua would wait for some great battle plan, right? But we're not told any of that happened. Moses says to Josh, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I'll go up on top of the hill with my staff and I in my hands. <laughs> I'm thinking, if I'm Joshua, I'm thinking, that's the plan? That's the strategy? How are we going to pull this off? Now, we're not told what Joshua thought of the plan. I'm sure he just kept his mouth shut. But if I were Joshua and I went into a strategy session like that, I think I would have expected a little more strategy. I might have expected that our great leader Moses would be right down there in the middle of us in the fight. But Moses has another plan. So the morning dawns, Moses climbs up the hill. He goes up there with his brother Aaron and another man named Hur, H-U-R. Hur was the son of a leader called Caleb. It's thought that the name Hur means liberty, which would be very relevant to a story about liberated slaves. But when I first read it, knowing I have this depraved thinking, his name sounded like something to me I heard back in black and white TV on an Abbott and Costello skit, Who's On First?, Aaron, get her and come up here. You want her? I thought you wanted him. I do want him. Who's him? I just told you, her. Anyway, I digress. All right. Moses needs Aaron and her for an important reason. Moses goes up on the hill. He raises his arms towards heaven, towards God, and it's pretty amazing. The text doesn't tell us a single word he prayed. In fact, the text doesn't even have the word prayer in it. Now, remember, at this time, there were no books about prayer written in those days. The first books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, hadn't even been written yet. Now, maybe Moses, like a lot of people, felt reluctant to pray in public out loud. Earlier, Moses has said he was slow of speech, slow of tongue. So maybe no audible words came out of him at all. Maybe Moses felt awkward or silly with all of these men fighting. But, but prayer isn't coming up with impressive words. It's about the heart. It's primarily about the one we pray to. See, what we pray matters a whole lot less than who I'm praying to. So this is a single act of the will in Moses expressed by his body. Help. See, the most amazing thing happened. Help came. 
Power came. Power from God. Power for the battle on earth. It was like an electric current flowed through Moses and beyond him. And the men, they fight like men inspired. They can't be stopped. They can't be defeated. A bunch of ex-slaves doing this to a trained army. It's amazing. Then Moses gets tired and his arms grow weak and he can't keep holding them up. But when they come down, something happens to the spirit of the soldiers on the field and they begin to lose the battle. So Moses raises his hands back up and the tide of battle turns towards Israel. Israel begins to prevail again and it dawns on Moses and maybe on Aaron, her, and Joshua that when Moses reaches up to the heavens in prayer, power is released and the battle is no longer just flesh and blood. There's another power working here that we can't explain. It's the kingdom of God at work, that power. So God is giving his people maybe a physical picture of a deeper spiritual reality that we're not made to live life on our own, not in our own strength or power. And men, that's what we want to do. And some women, but men for sure. We, I can do it myself. I don't need any help. I can figure this out. I can get through this. I can quit anytime I want to. Ah, la, 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 and it just goes on and on. We think we can do it in our own power, our own strength, our own wisdom. But God says, I made you to live in dependence on me. Two are better than one. A threefold cord is not easily broken. God sets the solitary in families, in groups. It's never alone. When Jesus sent the disciples out, he never sent anybody out alone. He sent them out two by two. Never alone. You're not made to be alone. In fact, why do we have solitary confinement? Because it's harsh punishment. Because it tears up the psyche of a person and drives them insane. So we're made to live in dependence on God. And over time, that discovery gets deepened and elaborated over and over in the Bible, especially in the New Testament through Jesus. And it spreads out to people and keeps going. There was an alcoholic named Bill W. who founded Alcoholics Anonymous, AA. And he lives in stubborn pride year after year after year. And his battle is the bottle of alcohol. And the enemy is killing him. Finally, Bill hits bottom. He realizes he's hopeless. And he lifts his arms towards heaven, and he prays that single word, help. And the battle for sobriety that he could never win by himself, couldn't help himself, begins to turn as long as he and millions of others just live one day at a time with hands lifted up saying, help me, God, help me. I can't do this. I've tried. I can't beat this. My life is unmanageable. I've got an enemy. I'll never beat him. God, help me. Help me. And through that surrender came victory. Hey, for some of you that are not theologians, how about the Beatles? Help. I need somebody. (laughs) When I was young, not so long ago, I never needed anybody's help in any way. But now these days and nights, I'm not so self-assured. I'm going to forget the words. I changed my mind. I've opened up the door. Help me if I can. I'm feeling down. But I do appreciate you being around. I'm not getting any royalties off of that, okay? 
but even the Beatles know you need help. And you're going to need help periodically at times in your life. This is the invitation for all of us today in our work, in our home, in our relationship, marriages, in our addiction, in your confusion, or with your medical diagnosis, or in your loss, or in your fear. There's a battle going on. Everybody you see is facing a battle. We're not meant to do battle alone. That's why we have groups here, support groups, small groups. They're starting up again this week, and you need to get your ugly self in one of them. You may have something that will help somebody in that group, or they have something that will help you, but we all need help. Now, what will keep me from doing that or asking for help generally is my pride and self-sufficiency. I don't want to appear weak. I don't want to appear that I'm not in control, although I'm totally not in control, but I want to live in that illusion so people will have this false image of me. The first step towards healing is humbling. I have to admit I need help. I don't know what to do. I can't help myself. I withhold, I withdraw, but I can't help myself. And by the way, God will often choose human means to give us divine help. Comes from God, but it may be through a person. I had to learn to lift up my hands and ask for help too, and I'm still learning this, stubborn as I am. There are, I think, two great truths, and if I can get them embedded in my mind and yours today, they'll help you and me more and more habitually raise our hands in prayer. I, I kind of associate them with two arms going up. Here's the first one. God is able. God is able. Our God is able. How able is God? Well, according to the Bible, he's exceedingly able. He is able to speak the universe into being, to say, let there be light, and there is light. He's able to bring plagues that will change the heart of Pharaoh. When the Red Sea needs to be opened for Israel to walk through, God was able to part it. When manna was needed to feed the people, God was able to bring it. When a storm threatened the lives of his disciples, God was able to still it. God was able to rescue Daniel from a lion's den, able to deliver three young men from a fiery furnace, able to take five loaves and two fish and feed a crowd of thousands of people, able to make a priest silent, able to make a donkey speak, which is what's happening right now able to make the lame to walk and the blind to see, able to make a leper clean, able to make a dead man live. So if we're going to use the word God, we have to understand that's not just poetic language. There's simply no other way to conceive of such a being that we call God. Paul says that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. It's kind of like he loaded us up with one thought after another. God is able to do what we ask. Not just that, he's able to do all that we ask. Not just that, he's able to do more than all we ask. Not just that, he's able to do more than all we ask or imagine. And not just that, he's able to immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So how able is our God? He's very able, dude. He's very able. He's exceedingly able. Isaiah 59.1 says his arm has not lost any of its strength. As I've gotten older and I bench press or I do curls, I can tell 
I don't quite have the same capacity I did have. Anybody else identify with me? Yeah, go ahead. Lose your pride. I don't care. He says, my arm hasn't lost any strength. It hasn't lost its capacity. I haven't lost my capacity to speak or have anything be so. God is able. And I have to trust in that enough at least to turn to him. Our God is able. Point number two, last one. God is willing. God is willing. Now, God could be a very strong, powerful, omnipotent being, but if God does not have a caring heart and a listening ear, I don't want to hold my hands up to heaven all day. See, God is willing. He's not just able. He's willing to hear, willing to notice, willing to love, willing to forgive, willing to act. How willing? Bible says very willing. So the scriptures, the writers of scripture say he's willing enough to count the hairs on your head. And for some of you, that's getting easy. Yeah. And keep every one of your tears in a bottle, willing to hear the groans of his people and the blood that cries out from the ground of every single victim, willing to suffer like a lovesick father waiting for his prodigal kid to come back home and willing enough to become like one of us which to me is just like unimaginable. That's the doctrine of incarnation, that in Jesus, God became flesh. And part of what that means is God learned firsthand what it's like to need help. God had to learn that. When Jesus was a little toddler, he would say that word to his mother, Mary, help me, mommy. It's one of the first words a child learns. Help me get dressed. Help me eat my food. How amazing that God Almighty humbled himself in Jesus, the maker and creator of the universe, asking for help to tie the laces of his sandals. I mean, when Jesus was a little kid, he did not glow in the dark. His sandals didn't magically appear on his feet. He had to put them on. He had to get dressed. He had to get potty trained he, he, because he became like us, but without sin. That's it, but without sin. That's all. It'd be nice to have one kid that doesn't rebel, wouldn't it? <laughs> Just one. <laughs> Just one, Lord. Yeah. So if a parent lives long enough, things change, and they end up asking their children for help. Help me. Help me get dressed. Help me eat my food. See, we are born needing help. And we die needing help. And in between, we can fool ourselves into thinking we don't need help at all. But all it takes is a little age, a little health problem, a little blood vessel that doesn't work right, or a little email from work saying that job is no longer yours. And we remember that word, help. In the end, Jesus, God in the flesh, couldn't even carry his cross by himself. And a man named Simeon from Cyrene had to carry it for him. Read the Bible. See, the story of Jesus ends as it begins with God who knows what it is to be weak and small and unable and needing help because he became a man. That's our God. He's so willing. He has such a generous heart. God is not frustrated or impatient. God is not weak or disinterested. God is waiting right now. So where do you need help the most from God? God, give me strength to face this crisis. God, give me wisdom to know how to parent this child. 
God, give me peace in the midst of this storm. God, give me the ability to overcome my anger and resentment and bitterness for what's happened. God, take away my fear. It's killing me, and I can't change it. I can't make it go away. God, give me your help to be able to cope at work. God, I need your patience to be able to dwell in the midst of this problem. God, I haven't lived in joy for a long, long time. Help! See, God is able and God is willing, and God helps people who cannot help themselves. Now, maybe, amen, like Moses, you need help from somebody else. Maybe your arms are getting pretty tired. There have been times in my life when I've had to say to a friend, would you pray for me? Would you stand for me? And they said, yeah, I will do that. I can remember one right off the bat. I never been to the hospital, but I had a rotator cuff tear in a tendon and had to have stitches put into it. So they had to give me anesthesia. And when they gave me the anesthesia, it was mixed with one other anesthesia. And I went into a, uh, a like a drug overdose. It's like it, I, could, I started shaking. I had panic attack. I could not lie down. I could not sleep. And worst of all, I could not eat. Nothing tempted me. Absolutely awful. And me, I'll whip it. I'll beat this thing. You don't know who you're messing with here. I have a strong will, a strong mind. And this is not going to defeat me. So I'm trying to goo. What can I do to get help? My son-in-law is a surgeon. He's, he, thank you. Thank you, Adam, for telling me there ain't nothing I can do about this, that that drug has a half-life of five to seven days before it lets go of me. And I mean, I'm thinking, you mean I can't do something? I can't take something? I can't do anything about it? I can't. That has to be the most frustrating moment of my life. I can't fix it. I can't make it go away. I need help. And I'm dying. I can't sleep. I can't rest. I've already lost about 10 pounds, which wasn't bad. But, but that is not the way I would seek to do it. And I remember in the midst of this of the week, I called a couple of my friends I, I, in the other service, we had the, another couple that uh, have been with us and known us since we started, Randy and Sandy. And I told them, get over here and pray for me. I have never done that. I have never asked. I remember Henry came by my house. To pray. I said, well, here we go, Henry. A black man praying for a white man. This is good. You just put your hands on me and pray for me. And he did. And Randy and Sandy and, and Jim and Pam did as well. I called John Hagee, who, who is a, a dear friend, and I said, I know you carry heavy authority in this city and in your office. This has happened to me. I can't fix myself. Would you pray for me to God to shorten this thing? He prayed for me right over the phone. And I'm saying, you got to do the same thing. If you can't whip that addiction, if you can't deal with this marriage problem, if you can't deal with the financial problem you've got or something going on in your life, hey, for crying out loud, don't wait till the end game. Scream help. Help first to the Lord and then to a trusted friend. Get the help you need because there will be moments you cannot help yourself. Nothing you can do about it. A kid goes crazy. One of your children goes nuts for no reason. And you've tried everything you know and you're praying, but it's not working and you're not making progress. And you need to cry, oh, God, help. And get some others to pray to come in on this thing. Well, 
And they all said, yeah, I'll do that. They're like Aaron and her for me. See? They're like those who pray for me. Those are sacred moments. And we get to do that for each other. That's why we want you in a group. It's an amazing picture. This story shows us life in the kingdom of God where God hears and God cares. God is able, God is willing, and he sends his power. And there's a battle. It looks like it's being carried out in human flesh on the, on the battlefield. But the real battle isn't on the field. The real battle is up on the mountain with a man named Moses who's lifting his hands to God for help. And he gets too tired and Moses gets weary. So he has a couple of friends come alongside of him and they hold up the hands that don't have the strength to hold up themselves. And somehow, in the midst of that weakness and neediness, the power of God gets unleashed that never would through human self-sufficiency and strength and ego alone. And that's us. That's the reality in which we live. That's life in the kingdom of God. So maybe you need to ask somebody this week, would you be my Aaron? Would you be my her? Would you hold up my hands? Because I am really beat down right now. Would you support me in prayer? Because my heart's breaking right now. So I'm asking us as a church, as a people, let's get rid of any self-sufficiency, any stubbornness, any resistance, any pride. Lift those hands toward you. You can't whip that alcohol. I'm not talking about having a drink. I'm talking about alcoholism. And you can't get help because you don't want somebody to think in your success as a businessman or a leader, you're, you're not strong. Nope, you're not strong. And you're being beaten in that area. And until you cry out for help, you'll be destroyed by it, unless you can. So you have to humble yourself and say, yeah, I had to get counseling for that. Yeah, I had to get marriage counseling. Yeah, I had to get financial counseling. Yeah, I had to get some counseling for my own bad behavior. I've got this addiction uh, to something, whatever, right? So you cry out. God's able, God's willing, and he can't do a thing till you acknowledge need. He said, you have not because you ask not. So I'm going to ask everybody, would you bow your head, close your eyes? I'm done. Every one of us needs to ask our God for the help that only God can give because God helps those who cannot help themselves. With our heads bowed, how many of you are facing a situation right now and you need help? You can't fix it. Just slip a hand up all over this room. God bless every one of you. God bless you. That's lifting those hands saying, God, I've tried. I can't fix it. It's beyond my power. I need help. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless your people today. Thank you that we're calling on an omnipotent God with unlimited power and a heart of compassion for every single one of us. I pray for those in a crisis now, whether it's health, whether it's marriage, whether it's with a child, whether it's employment, whether it's financial, I pray, God of heaven, you will hear and answer that cry. I pray you'll show yourself strong and mighty on behalf of those of us that are weak and unable. Thank you, you are able and that you are willing. Lord, hear their cries. I pray for healing. I pray for employment, gainful employment. I pray for a financial turnaround in the lives of others. I pray for relationship healing and restoration. I pray that whatever is needed will be granted to those who are 
beyond their ability to help themselves. And thank you. You see, you know, and you care. May we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God that you may lift us up. We praise you, O oh God, our help and our hope in time of need. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.